Good morning and welcome to Five Alive. It is another beautiful day here in Mahali and bear with the construction sounds if you can hear them in the background. They are still working on the flat above us. Yes, it's five weeks in, but uh, that's India for you, right? So we're going to be reading in the book of John today. We're going to be referencing the book of John chapter 10. We're going to read 22 through 39 is our reference, but we're just going to be reading John chapter 10, 22 through 31 to start with. And if we can get further along, uh, then we will. If not, we'll just reference those things later on. The last two weeks, Jesus was talking about he is the good shepherd. And there is a break in between where we completed our verses last week and where we're picking up today in verse 22. Time has changed. A period of time has passed, about three months, as Blair and I were just discussing uh, before we started the, the podcast. And um, But the theme of the conversation of which Jesus is having with us is staying the same. And so these are the things that we're recognizing as we move forward in the rest of this teaching, and that is that Jesus is the good shepherd, Jesus is the door, Jesus's people are the sheep, there are hired hands that are only looking out for their own interests, but there are hired hands that are a part of the, the parable that he was telling last week. Uh, and there is an enemy, the devil and his fallen angels, whose only goal is to hurt the shepherd. And they do this by stealing, killing, and destroying the flock, the shepherd, and the sheep. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and pick up John chapter 10, verses 22 through 31. At the time of the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I am the father, our one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. And I want to first take focus on this uh, concluding part of what Jesus says in verse 25. And just say point number one, plain and simple, Jesus is Messiah. And he says this is told to us as witnesses through his works. Jesus states that all his works, and yes, this includes his teaching, is from the Father and is an exact representation or a reflection of who the Father is in Christ Jesus. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, no one else, are one. I'm going to say that again. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. We do not worship three different gods. We do not worship three separate entities. When we say, I'm worshiping Jesus, I am also invoking the fact that I'm worshiping God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. They are one. And this is um, best explained I say this time and time again through a mathematical equation, though it's not a perfect example. This is still one of the best ways that in my mind, I can understand who God is. And that is one multiplied by one multiplied by one equals one because one has the same value. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, they have the same value. And when you put them together, when you multiply them together, they equal one. 
and that is one God. That's whom we as Christians serve. And so when we see Jesus, we see God. When we hear Jesus, we hear God. When we walk with Jesus, we're walking with God. And this is reciprocal. God the Father also points to his son, Jesus, and says, we are one. And so we have a few passages of scripture that we're going to go through. The first one being John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36. Xavier? He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongeth to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets this seal to this, that God is truth. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And next we have John chapter 10, verse 30. Mallory? I and the Father are one. Brilliant. And next we have 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Wonderful. And next is Colossians three fifteen Again, Aisha? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as member of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Next we have Colossians 1, 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And last, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Wonderful. Jesus is Christ. Plain and simple. Have you ever struggled, and this is just a question for us to ponder, but also maybe even elaborate on it, and that is, have you ever struggled with understanding what being Messiah or having a Messiah is, or what does that mean? Like, why do I need a Messiah? Or have you always understood the importance of having a Savior? It's not like the people don't explain it whenever you hear it. Like... Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who's to come and save us of our sins and wrongdoings and everything evil on this earth. And, but like, how is that not self-explanatory? Like whenever you hear, heard it from a person the first time, they didn't just say Jesus is the Messiah and walk away without explaining who he is and what he did. And so with that, they already explained to you. And so within that, 
I would have already known who, what, why I would need a savior because of all the wrongdoings I have done in my lifetime and because I was born a sinner. But is it's supposed to be explained to us by the person who inevitably tells us about Jesus. And so within that, yes, I've already always known Jesus is Messiah and why I need a savior because the person who told me that also explained everything. Wonderful. That's exactly what I was trying to get at because describing Jesus as Messiah is not something that we can be enlightened to by sitting under a tree somewhere in the Himalayan mountain range or going into some kind of cave and then all of a sudden having a dream revelation of who Jesus is. But instead, this is something that has to be passed on to us. And we then through learning, through teaching, we come to an understanding of our need for a savior and our need for a Messiah. That is the importance of why we're discussing the scriptures with each other, but also on a podcast is because no one will know who God really is unless someone is there to describe who he is. Romans chapter 10 says this exact thing. They will not know unless somebody preaches. This is not possible. And so to understand the importance of Messiah, to understand I need a savior comes directly from being described this through preaching or through a one-on-one conversation with somebody who has come to a saving knowledge of Christ before me, right? Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus is revealing this to the people, he's not just making a blanket statement that everybody knew before or that some Baba sat in a a tree was... uh, uh, taking hallucinogens, and then all of a sudden had this dream revelation where from the clouds appeared and I had these spectacles given to me. And when I picked them up, I started reading. There's none of that. This is God himself appearing on this earth and he is describing who he is. And he's not doing it in some kind of uh, fluffy storytelling way as Mallory read John chapter 10 verse 30 and Xavier had read it even before we've read it twice now God the Father and I are one Jesus plainly says we're one and so are there moments in our life that Jesus being the Savior takes a back seat for a moment in our lives I get into a car and I'm driving down the road does that mean that all I'm thinking about is Jesus as I'm driving? No. No. Or I'm doing my studies and I'm learning about world history. Is all of my knowledge that I'm thinking about in that moment about Jesus? No. Or mathematics? Trying to do some kind of trigonomical equation. Am I thinking in that moment only about Jesus as my Messiah? No. But do these things disqualify us from being Christians? No. no. No, absolutely not. But is he still involved in our lives in those moments when we aren't thinking about him? Is he still there with us? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So what does that look like in a daily practice for us? Or what does it look like for you, if you would like to elaborate or describe for us today, knowing that Jesus is Messiah, how is this beneficial for the work you do as a student, as a young business professional, as a mom, what does this look like for us? Like can any other person doing mathematics or studying or anything else, like, because we're all human, we look the same. It's not the outward appearance that's changed or anything. It's our insides. It's we believe in Jesus and he's in our hearts 
and we believe him with our whole heart and with our mind and with our strength. But that doesn't mean we look any different from any other person whenever we do our mathematics or other things. Right. And it doesn't mean we don't, but we do abstain from different things that other people do think about during those times, maybe. But like, other than that, we're no different from you, listeners, or anybody else here at this table or anybody outside. We will all do math the same way because math doesn't change. But we all do it in the same way. We all live life the same, almost. Everybody has a different life and everybody does different things, but we still do similar, the same things similar to each other. And where there's no difference between us, me sitting here on this table and you guys listening to the podcast. But the reason I'm asking this is because when we first came to India, and, and this is still something that happens to, to Blair and I, even to this day, and the kids as well, is people see us, they ask where we're from, and then they have a preconceived notion of exactly who we are. Oh, you're American. So that means you do just like the people in the Hollywood movies do. So you, uh, you drink booze, you drink lots of alcohol, and you party all the time, and you do drugs, and you're loose with your morals, because that's what they do in the movies. So that's obviously the way you live your lives. Because the representation, the exact representation of who people perceive me to be is what they watched in a Hollywood movie. Jesus is saying, I'm the exact representation of God the Father, and he is, whereas I'm not the exact representation. I am not the embodiment of a Hollywood movie. But at the same time, I'm not so holy in, uh, in, in the regards of I'm an elitist. When I say holy, I don't mean like holy, like I'm a called a child of God. Yes, I am a child of God. But when I say holy, I'm saying I'm not an elitist that I then look down my nose at everybody that is a Hindu, a Muslim, a Jain, a Sikh. I don't look down my nose because we are brothers and sisters in the fact that God is desiring to call all of us into his sheepfold, making us one flock under one shepherd, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we are all his sheep. That's his desire for his people. He doesn't make prerequisites of, oh, well, you were raised in this part of India, so therefore you're doomed to hell. No, it comes in fat point of fact of, I've revealed myself through Jesus Christ, and when you believe on him, you receive eternal life. So does it look any different as a parent or as a mom or as a teacher when you're, does your life look, how does it look different or how does it look similar to other teachers or other parents? And how does it look different? As a mom and a, and a teacher would be, I pray, pray for my kids, pray for their circumstances that are to come. You know, future pray for things that are unforeseen. Yeah. And to, like, when accidents happen, you know, not fret, not worry. <laughs> and still, yes, worry can come. But I have to choose in that moment, you know, is this a, a life or death situation? And it's out of my hands. It's out of my control that I, I have to be in complete surrender to, to God of Lord these gifts that you have given me as I call my children as you call your own um, they're yours yeah. and so daily placing them back into God's hands because I mean raising children they're going to do whatever they want to do and they're always testing boundaries and they're always testing the limits of life and that's out of my control. I can set boundaries. I can say what the house rules are. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. 
um, I can ask, you know, hey, are you doing your homework? Are you, you know, making sure your tasks are being completed? You know, is your hygiene being taken care of? Um, those things are concerns. And then to a child, it's like, gosh, man, there's so much. I mean, you have to keep combing my hair, I have to keep brushing my teeth every day. And I mean, those little things. And so as long as our, I mean, my kids are with me and, you know, they become adults, you know, may they continue to go on and go forth and to entrust Christ Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. But that's that's out of my hands. That's their decision if they choose to follow Christ. It's right. it's not mine. And I want my kids to know that just because you just because I follow Christ Jesus doesn't always mean you're going to follow Christ Jesus. And I have to be aware of that as a parent, like And for them to tell them, you know, like when you are out on your own, when you have your own apartment or when you're out in university and continuing to become a young adult, you don't just worship Christ Jesus because mom and dad do. You're worshiping Christ because it's your choice. Right. And I've raised you to the best ability that I know how, but it's, you're outside of, you know, the covering of a home. You're, you're making your own home, your own way in life. And it's your choice. It's your decision. And um, I'm here, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm here to answer. I'm here to listen, but it's ultimately, you know, they have to make that decision if they're going to follow Christ or not, just like as much as they have to make the decision if they're going to do their homework, make up their beds, you know, put away their laundry. So hey, the, wa- the water went out. What am I going to do? Right. I, I'm just not going to brush my teeth today. Or as what happens today, they both came across and went to another washroom that the water was working in in order to brush their teeth. Right. Not because we stood over them and said, hey, you need to go do this. Right. But they, they did it on their own accord. Mm-hmm. Because of the instruction that was given to them when they were younger. And and then there's those moments of where if we don't have something, like if I'm always comparing myself to someone who has more than I have, I personally go back to the scriptures and read, you know, and being content and satisfied in Christ Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. He's given me all I need, wanted, and ever desired. Mm. And teaching my children, hey, we can be content without these things. We do not always have to have the latest gadget. We don't have to always have the the latest of anything, whether it's a game, you know, if you're into gaming or if it's a, uh, you know, Xavier 16, he doesn't, you know, 16 years old, he should have his driver's license. He should have a brand new vehicle and all that's usually supplied by mom and dad. Well, Xavier turned 16. I don't have a car for him. He doesn't have his driver's license. You know, we live in a country where it's 18 yeah, before you can get your driver's right, license. We live in a country where you're 18. And, and so I tell Xavier, you're going to have to do those things. I did those things. I mean, I didn't get a car till I was 19. Right. And I had my driver's license at 16, but I didn't have a car. I'd drive everybody else. I had car insurance, <laughs> but I didn't have a car. Yeah. I drove everybody else's cars. Yeah. And, and you know worked my way to you know asking people hey man i need help and and in that moment is that a jesus moment of you know of oh man god you know xavier doesn't have anything and i feel so bad for him because i could really allow the worldly pressures to get to me yes but i really in those moments it's like it's nothing just be content with where you are and knowing that god is with you. He hasn't left you. He's right there and he knows 
your heart's desires mm -hmm. and and he knows blessings that he blesses you with that you weren't even looking for correct so yeah absolutely i mean as a as a business professional as a man i know that uh as i'm on my consultancy calls as i'm working through uh problems that we you know arise in a certain business in another part of india and i'm on the zoom call my my thoughts aren't always just, oh, Jesus, give me help in this moment because I need to do X, Y, and Z. However, my personal devotion time of waking up in the morning, reading the Bible, praying, my, my personal time spending with him prepares me in a way that when I get into that meeting and there's some kind of a conflict, I'm able to look at it almost as an outsider looking in and help see the issues in ways that are revealed to me that I don't think, and I may be completely off with this, but I don't see them in the same way that everybody else does. I see them within the confines of being ethical, being truthful, being concise in order to take care of the problem as soon as possible, and to also make sure that all parties are dealt with in a peaceful and relational way so that that way there's no... Um, strife and division and hurt and um, and destruction going on within the company or even myself and the people that I'm consulting. And this comes as a result of I operate in a way that I'm not trying to cheat somebody that is one of my clients. I am not going out to just make sure that I can go buy, as Blair was talking about, the latest and greatest gadgets or go buy myself a new car or go buy myself an upgraded car from the Toyota Innova that I drive right now and go buy myself a, a another Volkswagen Jetta or a BMW or a Mercedes-Benz so that that way I can say, look at the cloud I have because Jesus has provided so much for me and he's blessed me so great. Isn't Jesus so much better than absolutely everything else? Because look at the car I drive, look at the house I live in, look at the brand new furniture I have, and look at the fact that I eat fancy food all the time. But that is the way some people act and react in life. However, that's not the way I live my life as a consultant. I live my life by pointing to Jesus, even in the midst of my business, not saying his name directly, but still he is a part of my business transactions that are taking place on a regular basis. I don't disqualify myself by then going out and getting totally wasted with my coworkers and then running off with them to go do who knows what to not remember the next day because Christ is in me. So therefore I don't go and get wasted. I don't go run around on my wife because she's the one that I saved myself for as a virgin. She saved herself for me so that that way we would have a unified marriage, two virgins marrying each other so that that way we would be pure in that marriage bed. And I don't now take that for granted and go run around on my wife to try and find somebody else to replace her. But I know so many people that do. I know this is something that goes on and it's something that's destructive and destroys. Those are not the ways that we show Christ as our savior. We show Christ as our savior by continually placing him first in our life, no matter what the situation is. And yes, there are times when we're doing a mathematical equation as a student, when we're being a parent, a mom, and we're saying, clean up your clothes, or we're a businessman or a dad who is trying to help take care of a situation, take the bull by the horns and help take care of a situation to the extent where we don't do this in a sinful way or in a sinful practice, but instead we do it with the gentleness of Christ because our faith 
and our hope is secure in him. Which leads me into the next part of what we see in verse 27 is Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. He says, I know my sheep. He says, the sheep follow me. I have power and authority and the strength to give the sheep eternal life. They are never going to perish. And then he says this very important thing. He says, no one can snatch my sheep from me. No one, nothing can snatch my sheep from me. And those give me four new attributes that I want to talk about of who Christ is today. And that is he is our protector. He's our provider. He's our deliverer. And he is our master. He's our protector, our provider, our deliverer, and our master. How does this apply to our daily grind or our daily lives, knowing that Jesus is our protector, our provider, our deliverer, and our master? I'm just going to kick it off with saying we don't have to be afraid when we're out and about, when he's our protector, because we know that we and Christ are one, and the most painful, discomfortable troublesome issue that comes into my life is going to be taken care of as I trust in him. He's my provider. He provides my daily bread. And as we brought up a little bit before already is, is we've become a wealthy society where we believe today that we deserve more than food, shelter, and clothing. Those are the basic needs, right? We need food, shelter, clothing, and water. Those are the four basic needs that we need. And yet we've come to a position in our life where we think we deserve so much more than that. But yet he grants us ideas and thoughts. He causes us to invent things so that that way we can be benefited from them. He gives us these ideas so that that way we can, we can all of a sudden have a more fulfilled life because he's our provider. He does take care of our daily needs. He's our deliverer. He provides a way of escape and protection when sin is looking to snatch us away from him. When the enemy is looking to destroy us, he leads us to greener pastures. And as our master, this is the one thing that really most people struggle with and are most uncomfortable with. As our master, that means he's in charge. He knows what's best and he's 100% right. And if I'm not spending time in prayer, if I'm not spending time communicating with God, then I can't allow him to be my master because the person who is the master at that point is myself. I'm the one that makes all of my decisions. I'm the one that's in charge. I'm the one whose ego is driving in order to make sure that I accomplish X, Y, and Z because I need to make sure that... I have a better car than my neighbor does, or I have a better motor. I can go buy a motorcycle. I can go get myself a triumph because, you know, my neighbor got a triumph. So I deserve a triumph too, because we live in the same building. And so therefore we must make roughly the same amount of money. So therefore I should live to the same level of expectations of what he does. But that's not when God is our master. That is not the way we live our lives. So to you guys, I'm going to ask that same question. Jesus being protector, provider, deliverer, and master, how does this apply to your daily life? Well, I met some friends while we were in U.S. for a short while for your surgery and recovery and everything like that. Some of them had never heard, like, for some reason, I don't know how, but they'd never heard of it as Jesus being our master. Like, they always knew, like, I'm a friend of God and all that other stuff. But whenever it comes to the point where Jesus is our master and we're 
basically servants to Jesus and God and slaves, they automatically think of the awful slavery that happened during the America during America's startup and everything and what we did towards the black peoples. And people were like, well, then I don't want to be a slave to Jesus. Mm. And the thing is, is that in that actually Jesus is our master. He's not talking about a master in that those terms, because technically that we were really slaves to sin right. and Jesus came and took us out of that. Right. And yeah, we may be servants and slaves to him, but not only that, he also calls us one of his own. He treats us as if he's our, ch- he, we're his child. Right. Even though we're still a slave to him mm-hmm. because he cares that much about us. Right. And, but whenever we hear the master, like master servant relationship, we think it's going to be this awful thing. And so some people were like, well, I don't know if I want to believe in Jesus anymore because it's described as this. And I was like, but it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's the closest way that it can be described because that's how it is, is we serve under Jesus. We do what he wills us to do. But not only that, whenever we do that, he grants us eternal life. He grafts up in, grafts us into his family yes. and all that happens. And so like, it may sound awful because of what has happened in the past and what humans have done, but Jesus isn't a human. Right. God isn't a human. He's different. That's not God's nature is to treat us like humans and selfishly do what we have done in the past. He's going to do it completely differently than that, than what we've ever done. Definitely. He's our deliverer. I I can think of several instances in my own life where Christ Jesus is our deliverer. He's one that comes to mind is I was 18 years old, caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was invited by a friend to to go go downtown Nashville to meet up with her boyfriend. And, you know, I'd ask permissions from my mom. And I was like, you know, hey, mom, I'm going to go out with this young lady and we're going to go downtown Nashville. Do I have a set curfew of when I need to back, be back home? She's like, no, you're 18. You know, you just graduated high school. So you're going to take the responsibility to when you come home, you come home. Like mm. there is no, you know, just know that, you know, the, the door will be unlocked and, and I hope you come back safe. And I was like, okay, that was really trustworthy. I wasn't expecting that because I was kind of really wishfully thinking that my mom would say, no. Absolutely not. You cannot go. But instead, she's like, yeah, go. So I, I, you know, my friend, she came to pick me up. We went downtown Nashville. You know, we we had dinner. And then we, it was like about eight or nine o'clock at that time. And we went over to her boyfriend's house. And needless did I know what in the world I was about to step into. And yes, I have asked Christ Jesus into my heart at the age of eight. Yes, I do profess Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. So here I am, you know, 10 years later, you, you fast forward that and I am in the worst case scenario in my life that I thought, how in the world did I end up here? Well, I know how, but I just didn't know my friend was really caught up into all of this. So I walked right into a drug scene. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were selling cocaine and shooting up and a lot of needles were laying around. There was a lot of beer cans crashed everywhere. And I was like, Okay, I don't, you know, I asked my friend, I was like, am I really seeing what I'm seeing? You know, and she was <laughs> over on her couch making out with her boyfriend. And this one guy pulled me to the side and he goes, 
is this your first ride? And I was like, my first ride, like, hold on, no, wait, what, huh? Like first ride, I was so confused and I was so, there was, it was foggy, it was hazy, it was golden. It was, <laughs> I was like, there was just all these aromas of different um, air fresheners, marijuana <laughs> or whatever that was in the air. And I thought, this is not good. And then it was at that time, it was like 11 o'clock at night and I thought, I asked my friend, I was like, hey, you know, are we going to go? I think I need to go home. She's like, no, no. And all the people were like, no, just hang out here, man. By that time, it hit midnight. And the next thing I knew, there was a fight going on. And it wasn't a fight. I mean, it was a fight. I mean, like, guns were being pulled out. There was already blood all over the ground. And I went and hid behind a car. And there were beer bottles being thrown down. And I thought, I know I'm going to get smacked by one. I know I'm going to be ending up in the ambulance. And I was, I've started praying. I was like, Lord, I'm in the wrong place. Like, I thought my friend was totally different. I did not realize she's my straight A student friend. We have been friends for over a year. And I, I had no idea that this was another lifestyle that she had led. Yeah. And here I am praying. And then I'm like looking up and peeking up behind the cars, you know, like, do I slide underneath the car? Do I, I don't want to, somebody to come in and hit the car and like open the car and I get smacked in the face. And I was just being very, so I kept walking around the car, you know, like, like a little frog, yeah. like, am I, you know, trying to dodge the, the beer cans and the glass that was being shattered and, and then the gunshot popped. And then you hear the, you hear the police. The police are there. The police are there, and I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to prison. I'm going to jail because I didn't escape. I'm an accomplice. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I am. You know, I am with the part of action. And I thought, dear Jesus, I pray that there's not a dead man because I am so going to be in jail because I didn't leave. Wrong place at the wrong time. Wrong place at the wrong time. I didn't have a mobile phone. People didn't even have a phone. I mean, because they had spent their money on other things and a phone was not of importance. But I could have gone to, there's ways I could have escaped, but I didn't. And then the next thing I know, this policeman came, grabbed my shoulder. He goes, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I said, yes, I am. He goes, you get whoever you came here with and you leave now. I said, now? He goes, on the count of three, when I say now, you go and you grab her and you get in your car and you will never be here. I said, but I'm here, sir. I'm here, sir. I said, I think there's a dead man down. He goes, there is. Get out now. <laughs> so he said, one, two, three. And I was like, Carrie. And she came out and I said, we got to go. She goes, I'm going. And um, we were out. I got home. It was two o'clock in the morning. I walked inside you know, my mom is a praying woman and I just knew, oh, she's going to be up praying for me. I just know. <laughs> I went into her room. She's asleep. I said, mom, <laughs> I said, mom, <laughs> mom. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Blair. Yeah. What time is it? I said, it's two o'clock in the morning. Aren't you concerned about me? No. <laughs> she's like, should I be? And I was like, I almost got arrested. She goes, yeah. How did that feel? And I said, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She goes, yeah, but you're here now, aren't you? What did you do? I, I didn't do a thing, but I prayed and somehow God heard me and I was delivered. I didn't get shot at. And I said, I was, she was like, well, what do you want me to do about it? And I, I, I was like, well, 
I just thought maybe you might be concerned. She goes, love you, Blair. Good night. <laughs> she was out. And I was like, but the Lord delivered me in that situation yeah. when I had so many opportunities that I could have took upon myself to get out of that situation. Right. I mean, there's several ways I could have gotten home, but I was so paralyzed, so to say, on sure. what to do because time was just like rushing by so fast. But I know that God was with me in that mm -hmm. instant. And I told my friend, she's like, hey, you want to go out with me again next week? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, I'm not making that mistake, I am not making that mistake <laughs> again. I said, now, if you want to come here and you want to hang out with me here at my house and you hang out with me here, we can do that. Yeah. Like, you can bring your boyfriend over. You can do all that. Like, But just know it's going to be a very different environment that I said, you put me in such a predicament that that could have gone down on my record, on my permanent record. Hmm. And I did that all for a friend. And I was like, I do not want that kind of marking on my record. Right. I have chosen to live a pure life. And I have chosen to not surround myself with um, people that were going to detour me that that would always be on my record and follow me all the days of my life. And I didn't want that. That's like, because the record I want is to know that people know that I know who Christ Jesus is and he is my personal Lord and Savior. And that is whom the one I trust in. And he is my master. Yeah. Absolutely. And deliverer. Absolutely. Definitely. He's our deliverer. He's our provider. I can remember a time when we were newly married or within the newlywed time frame, the first five years of marriage. We had a daughter already because a year after we married, we were blessed with a baby girl. And, and uh, we are living away from our parents. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the mileage would have been like 200 miles away from the closest parent. So it's just Blair, myself, and Addison. And we're living in a community, working there. And our finances got really tight. Really, really tight. To the point where we, we just, we couldn't afford food. Like, um we couldn't afford our electricity bill and our electricity bill wasn't high. It's not like in, in America, we have central heating and air. So that means you can just turn a thermostat in the summertime and the air conditioner will come on and you can turn in the whole house. Like it's not just per room. It's every single room in the house. The air conditioner comes on in. and uh, you can turn the heat on in the winter when it's really cold outside. You know, it's minus four or five degrees outside Celsius and we can turn the heater on and every room is heated. So it's all, it can be this wonderful temperature. You never have to change the temperature from 25 Celsius. It can be that every day, all day in your house, no matter what the temperature is like outside. And so your electric bill can get kind of high and our electric bill wasn't high. Our electric bill was very low because we would keep the temperature um, quite extreme. Whatever the temperature were outside it was almost basically what the temperature was inside. And, uh, and we were very cautious of how much electricity we paid because we got paid a salary and we we, we were budgeting everything and we had come in this one month to the end of our budget and we still had 10 more days left of the of the uh, month before we would get paid again. And we went to the refrigerator and there's no food. And uh, we we had water, but we had no, no food. And uh, Blair and I, we just kind of went and grabbed Addison and we were like, hey, we're going to pray for two things because first of all, we have an electric bill and we have no money to pay the electricity bill. So we're going to just pray that God would, so we're, we're going to put our hands and Addison's like three years old. And we're like, here, you hold a piece of the electric bill and we're going to pray that God provides 
that God provides the electric bill money for us because there's no way we can make the payment. We're going to default and, and it's just maybe the electricity will get shut off. It's just the way things are. It's okay, but we're going to trust God to provide for us. So we're going to pray for that. And then we got done with that and we said, oh, and by the way, Addison, we don't have any food. <laughs> so will you pray with us that we'll have food? And uh, we don't know how this is going to happen, but we, we don't have any food. And so we prayed and um, it was in the afternoon and later that night, the door rang, the, the buzzer rang at the door and we went over to the door and there's nobody there. And so we were just like, oh, foolish kids pushing the bell and running away or what have you, you know. Uh, but then we opened the door and there was a box and it had food in it. And it was just there. We don't know who gave it to us. Even to this day, we don't know who provided. We know God provided the food through a person. And when we opened the door, there was a box and it had food that would sustain us for the next 10 days until we got our paycheck. The next day I went out to the mailbox and I opened the mailbox and normally we get junk mail, like, you know, magazines and junk mail and stuff like that. But this day there was a, a an envelope, handwritten envelope from a person. And we didn't know who the person was, but when we opened up the envelope, there was cash money inside of this envelope that was enough money for us to pay our electricity bill. And so God provided for us as a young family, just starting out, trying to get things taken care of and exhausting our resources. And yet God was there providing for our needs. So Xavier was talking about mastery, God being our master. And I really think that this is something that the people within this passage of scripture struggled with. I really think when Jesus says the father and I are one, that equates him with being creator, that equates him with being master. And I think that was the thing that these people that are around Jesus really struggled with. And um, proving himself as master is, is where these eyewitnesses of things that Jesus said, talked and taught and did, these were the struggles that they didn't have. And, and I mean, think about this. These are things that we struggle with today, but they didn't have back then. Jesus calmed the wind, the waves in a storm. And the people are like, yeah, that's possible. Like he stood up in a boat that was rocking and rocking and rocking and going up on huge waves and coming crashing down and the boat's about to split into pieces and he's sleeping on the boat. The disciples wake him and all of a sudden he says, peace be still and the waves are calm. The storm stops raging. The lightning dies down. The thunder's gone and everything's just still. And they believe that's okay. They believe that that's not a problem. He turned water into wine. And they're okay with that. Yeah, he turned water into wine. We believe that. That's something that definitely happened. There was a man who couldn't walk and Jesus prayed for him and the man stood up and started walking and they are okay with that. They saw this man that had been lame. They saw a man who was blind from birth and he's 40 years old and Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud, put it on his eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and he does it and the man is healed and the people are okay with that. They believe that that was a miracle that happened. They listen to the teachings that he says and they see how he talks to the religious leaders and they admire him and say, wow, what authority he teaches with. And they believe in his teachings. But when he says that I have a quality with God, the father, the creator of heaven and earth, I am your master. That's something that they struggle with. That's when, they're, that's when they go and pick up the stones to stone him. 
And he doesn't get stoned because, as we've talked before, it wasn't his time yet. His time had not yet come to give his life for his sheep. But it's coming. And they can't take it from his life from him because he's going to lay his life down when it's God's timing and purpose for things to happen right so that that way our redemption will be bought with the purchase of his blood. But it kind of seems funny, doesn't it? That today we disbelieve the miracles Jesus did. Oh, he didn't really calm the wind and the waves. I think that that's just hyperbole that the Bible say. Like we disbelieve it. We, oh, he didn't really heal a lame man or a blind man. Maybe they just had uh, partial sight. And then all of a sudden, because there was some, uh, uh, you know, good chemicals in the ground at that time when they, when he put it in his eyes, like that was the healing salve that came no different than the eye drops we put in our eyes today. Like we try and explain away the miracles of what Jesus did. We try and say, oh, well, he was just a good teacher. He was just a prophet. There's no way. And he never equated himself equality with God. Um, John 10, 30, the father and I are one. Yes, he does. And, and isn't it interesting that as Xavier was saying, we still struggle with this idea of him being our master. Mm -hmm. We still struggle with the idea that when he purchased us with his blood, that we are now his slaves, no longer slaves to sin, as the Bible specifically emphatically says we were before we came to Christ. We were slaves to sin. And that taskmaster, that master that just wanted to kill, steal, and destroy us, we sometimes feel like we want that over the loving kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and loyalty of Jesus. We also have no problems making deals with Jesus. We say silly things like this. Well, Jesus, if you're really God, then you'll heal me from my sickness and then I'll believe in you. If you're really God, then you'll fix my marriage and then I'll believe in you. And we give them other ultimatums like, if you're really God, then you'll help my kid out and then I'll believe in you. And we act like, if, but if you don't meet my demands then your kingdom doesn't really exist and you're not really God, don't we? Yeah. We make these ultimatums, these demands like, oh, if you, if you can't do this for me, then obviously that proves you have no power. What? How is that? We treat God as if he's the slave instead of us, what we really are. We try and overthrow God's authority and power because we think we're so great. And so in that saying, well, if you're really God, then you'd do this. You're trying to say you have more power than a being that has ultimate power. Yeah. The creator. The creator. You're trying to equate yourself with having more power than the creator of life itself. Right. But some people don't recognize it as that. They're so selfish that they think that they have so much power that they can tell God what to do. Yeah. Jesus would be saying, well, if you're really a Christian, then you wouldn't have me saying if I'm really God. Yeah. If you would obey me, right? Yeah. And there, and to go with that, I mean, life is a discipline. I mean, we, we sleep eight hours a day. I mean, that's our, hopefully, hopefully I mean, that's our required <laughs> amount of sleep that we need in a day in order to properly function Yeah, is we know we need to sleep eight hours a day. Are we disciplined in doing that eight hours a day? We know scientifically that that's our bodies function better. Our brains and our minds are more clear. Our conversations will be, you know, better if we get that eight hours in a day. So if we already know that as a fact, that is a truth, 
then we know that we need good, good foods mm -hmm. that also go into our body. We need fruits, we need veggies, we need protein, you know, our, our lean meats, we need breads, we need, these are things that we need. So taking care of your body, making sure it's being fed, being fueled, because if we only got eight hours of sleep and then we never ate all day, we're going to be so lethargic and yeah. we're just really starving ourselves and killing ourselves. So we have a daily discipline of eating. So with you know, these disciplines, I see Christ Jesus as it's a discipline to, mm -hmm. to serve him. It's a, it's an honor for him to be our master. So therefore what disciplines do I do, you know, and that's reading God's word, understanding yeah. his word, getting to know who he is, because it can be, um, I've tried everything. I've tried it all. Well, you know, I tried to walk my life right with Christ Jesus. I tried. I, I gave him my marriage. I gave him my kids. I gave him a car, a car. I gave him my job. I gave him everything, but he didn't do anything for me. Hmm. And so therefore I have to ask, I have to question that person that has said those things. And I've met many people that have said those things to me. I've tried this Jesus mm. and he, it, he didn't work for me. Mm. So I'm going to go back to my, to how I know how to do things. And I, in return, ask, what are you doing? How are you getting to know who Christ is? Yeah. What does your daily discipline look like? You know, when you were giving Christ Jesus a try, were you reading his word? Right. Were you studying his word? Were you truly getting to know your master? Were you truly getting to know um, what he he likes, what he desires? Because we know his salvation is free. Right. But yet there's also a cost of we've got to walk with him. And yeah. that's daily laying down our selfish pride. That's daily laying down our needs, our wants, and our desires of what we want or yeah. what we think we want when ultimately he knows what's what's okay. best. So just as we were discussing today in John chapter 10, this 22 through 31, and if you would like to read on to 30, 39, that co continues to cover what Jesus is saying. But uh, the things that really stand out to me is Plain and simple, Jesus is Messiah. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> the things that we cover is plain and simple, Jesus is Messiah. Secondly, we have safety in him. And when disbelief rises up inside of our minds and inside of our hearts and inside of just this fretful, fearful state within our lives because we don't really know what's going on, we can rest assured that he is in complete control because he is our master and that's a good thing. Lord Jesus, help me to make you my master. I know this is an area that I struggle with and wanting to keep power for myself to be the master of my own destiny. Yet I surrender myself to you. I lay my life down and I follow you. Increase my faith and increase my belief today. Mallory, will you pray? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that everybody will get their groceries <laughs> and everybody is stays safe and that people will stop dying because of coronavirus and that not only COVID patients but other patients 
that have other conditions will be able to stay safe as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.